Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. I hope you enjoyed part one with Paul. Welcome back to part two. Make sure you've got that drink, sit back, relax, while we continue our chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. So out in the field, you must have some stories to tell. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the there's the obligatory snake stories because we we get a few um, <laughs> snake stories. And in Port Macquarie, it's a bit swampy, so so we we've got all the really quite hilly bits, but then we fall down onto the swamp in Port Macquarie almost universally. So we're either building something nicely on top of some red dirt or. In the later years, we've been down in the swampy stuff um, and uh, crawling through the swamp, measuring lines through the swamp is uh, is a real experience. But fortunately, I didn't have to do that. So, I, But I do, I do remember sending one of my particular registered surveyors through a swamp and he, and he, and he, got, he bought those fishing waders, you know, so yeah. um, <laughs> and, he, and he had to travel through to the swamp with uh, basically up to his waist in, uh, in water. So... That was a difficult one. I've got the obligatory story about it was way back when it was actually out at Camden when I was working for uh, Craig and Rudds. And about that time, there was a lot of uh, immigrants from Vietnam. So I think it was from Vietnam. Anyone, one of those Asian countries. And and at the time, they were called boat people. So and then this guy came over and Rithi was his name. And uh, he, he'd had a bit of survey experience. So we took him on as a field hand. Um, and we had... So we were doing um, some traversing and and um, we had I, I, he headed him over in this direction and he walked across this damn wall, right? So and it was a hot day, and guess what was on the damn wall? So um, he saw a snake for the first entire time in his life because there's no snakes in his original country. <laughs> so uh, he promptly threw that guppy, top gone guppy, about six metres in the air. And I was I was at the other end and I watched the top gone guppy smash on the top of the damn wall because he was scared of a snake. So that was the funniest snake story I ever, I, I ever witnessed from that point of view. Um, yeah. Well, there's plenty of stories from the field. I mean, Look, one of the one of the things about being a surveyor is you get to go in the field. I mean, even if you're, you know, that that's one bit of advice that I've got for you is that even if you are a manager, get out in the field. And I tell this to the guys, you know, that are doing the candidate workshops: get out in the field. If you're confused about something, go and walk the site, you know, and just get a feel for it, which is which is not always possible i understand but whenever you can just walk the site and you'll end up with a better result if you know what's going on in mm. the field 
And we always did that with design. When we got stuck with design, we'd uh, we'd just throw our hands in the air and just go and walk around and measure a few things and come up with a, the solution actually in the field. Um, and uh, it, it's almost always my advice to anybody to, to don't just do it on a sheet of, sheet of paper, get out there and, and go and walk the site if you can. Um, because it, you uh, you get an insight into what that particular layer of land is and how it all works, and how you and if you're a if you're a surveyor, which um, which is one of the great parts of surveyors, they can look at stuff in three dimensions and they can actually figure out how it's going to look at the end of the day before it, before it even gets designed. So, yeah. and I suppose we did that before three dimensional um, imaging now, but that's how we sort of did it in the old days. Um, mm. We we visualised it in our mind, and we're pretty good at that. And that's why we uh, we did a lot of engineering design uh, over the years. So, um, yeah, funny stories. I don't know. It's it's what. Yeah. So we got. I don't know if I was the funny guy. We we tend to uh, tend to get a bit serious at work, and I always got in trouble for being too serious and and not lighthearted enough. Um, Everybody th think I was grumpy, and but I was really just thinking about things, you know. So I'm, I'm a bloke who tries to s try and solve problems uh -huh. like immediately. Um, and that's another piece of advice I give people: sometimes you can't solve problems, don't try and solve them. So just talk it out with somebody else who knows more. Um, and often, what what I have learned is we can't do everything as surveyors. We try and do everything, um, and particularly in the areas of marketing and and business development, we need some help from that point of view and we need to engage those professionals, those specialists. And if we do that, we'll, we'll benefit from that. We, we can we can um, filter it, we can uh, put our spin on it, but we need to engage them and get get the best out of them to uh, to allow us to, to make our businesses thrive and survive, really. Yeah, um, yeah. so, um, and that's, you know, we talked about we talked before about you know the ups and downs in the industries, and what yeah. what we never really did was um, talk about w the the potential influence that I think surveyors can have in their community um, at a committee level. You know, whether that's a committee for um, you know getting a new path on the street, or or whether it's uh, being a local councillor or um, or you know, advising your state parliament member or your federal parliament member, they they um, often they get surrounded by this bubble, which is bad for them. Uh, and a lot of them haven't had an experience in the private sector, which I think is a bad thing. Um, they need to work. They need to be part of um, either you know working at the coalface in the public sector or working in the private sector. I always say that it'd be great if um, a politician could actually interview and employ people, then potentially fire them, certainly have to, fit, to write their wages check and have to worry where that next uh, dollar is coming to pay those people and and know the responsibility of having to pay for that guy's uh, wages so he can provide for his family, all those sorts of things yeah. um, is important things that we can pass on to them. And then obviously um, what we know about the, the way things work is also really important as well. I mean, a really good example was the, the SEP 44, it's, they call it the Koala SEP, but it was an old SEP 40, SEP 44. Um, the problems with that, in, in it, from our point of view, and ACS made two submissions um, on that. 
the problems with that started two years ago with the wetland set where they mapped literally mapped uh, wetlands that were 25 kilometers away from the coast right so it's coastal wetlands and it's 25 kilometers away from the coast they mapped um, they, they didn't filter out uh, cadastral boundaries and they'd map the back three three square meters of a cadastral property so you'd have to do an EIS to build a house mm -hmm. on a property that was registered 12 months before so this was bad mapping and yeah. we told them that and they didn't listen then and they didn't listen again with step 44 and you know there's there's trees that shouldn't have been mapped and then uh, we had an example up the coast where a tree was growing in the middle of a water tank and I'll disuse water tank you know it was so it had a four meter high wa uh, galvanized iron water tank around it and that was mapped as a koala tree the koala could not get in that tree without a step ladder or or a uh, um, you know a crane or something so oh, so that that you know we had we had literally you know numbers of those and not, yeah. um, because the mapping was out of date right so okay. we tell them that but they they weren't listening to that and we deferred them basically to um you know back to bruce thompson and, and narell and and i think they're working to try and uh, increase their influence in that regard but the department of planning has got their own fiefdom of spatial people and they they're just coming up with pretty lousy results and and if they they got an enormous amount of data and they come up with some really good looking maps but there's just um, the ground truthing and how reliable those are creates uncertainties. Yeah. You can't do that. As surveyors, we know you need certainty. And they created uncertainty and effectively um, drove everybody up the wall. And that's bad public policy and that was badly implemented. And uh, hopefully they'll get their act together. And they are reviewing that mapping, I understand now. So. Okay. Yeah, and we made some solid um, in, uh, representations in that regard, and Victor Dominella listened, and uh, I think he's taking that on board. But it's it's you know it's like you said before with the TAFE, it's hard to change. But you've got a, we've got a good story to tell. We have to tell it. And um, you know it was when the change of government in 2011, 2012, we, ACS started the state conference, and it started off slowly, but it's grown and. And most of the politicians now know that, that what surveyors do and, and they'll, uh, they will talk to us and they, they're keen to know what we think. They might not always agree with us, but yeah. at least we have the ability to influence them from that point of view. So um, and I think we've made a difference with that. And uh, I'd like to see us continue with that. Part of that would be that we need to get people to take up politics. Peter, how are you for that? Would you like to have a crack at that? Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure I would uh, like to be in that position. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's. It's something that it doesn't. I, I. I talked to some guy about doing. It. He said, "Why would I take a pay cut to be a politician?" So, um, and people say that politicians get paid too much. I was, and if you're a minister, I suppose you get paid pretty well. But if you're a normal politician, you don't get paid that well. So, um, that's a pretty hard job. Pretty thankless yeah. job. Well, I, I don't. I didn't choose my job on on the money value of it it was more on the uh, satisfaction side of it um but i so you some chance then hey no so I think, some chance. um I, I think i've had enough government bureaucratics for a while <laughs> well, i reckon you, you can be the boss you could sort them right out 
Oh, yeah. Imagine if you came back as the boss. Oh, oh yeah. I think in 10 years I'm hoping I'll be done. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the difficulty, is it? Is it, you know, it's, it's, the more and more the younger the younger guys are, are coming in and that's all they've ever done. So, uh, yeah. Um, there's, there's no incentive for older people to have a career in politics later because they no. they take a pay cut and it's too much hassle. So and to be honest, I've never I've never really had much interest in politics. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm encouraging everybody to at least get interested. It's great. You've got. To, did you vote? Though? You voted, didn't you? Of course, I voted. Did you did you decide as you were walking into the polling booth or you decided before you got to the polling booth? I think I had decided before I got to the polling booth. There you go. See, you're interested in politics. Well, I just knew I had to make a decision. <laughs> well, well if, uh, you know, I've, I've handed out on a number of occasions the various politicians um, and I think the uh, the the most frustrating comment i got was when uh, a couple of relatively young people came out after voting and and they said who'd you vote for i voted for him because he's good looking so, so that was the only reason they voted for oh. and then we we also why is compulsory voting in in uh, australia so <laughs> yeah but look if you don't if you don't have any influence then then the other people will influence them and and it's important whether whether you think um not necessarily want to be a politician, but uh, we need to tell them our story. Yeah. They're better politicians if we can tell them our story. Yeah. Right? Um, so if we've got some problems, we need to let them know. They can't fix it unless we let them know, right? Mm. And we need to have strong lines of communications with, with those politicians. And then at CSN, um, Michelle said that they, uh, CSN had written to 31 ministers in Queensland to try and establish some some context uh, after their recent election. And that's that sort of thing is that it's difficult because it takes resources and we're only a, a small profession and sometimes we run out of those resources, but mm-hmm. it's certainly something worthwhile. And, you know, ACS has put on a policy officer, a part-time yeah. one. So, I saw that. Uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, mm-hmm. We think that'll be fantastic. So because those set, set ones, I have to write and... Uh, it sort of you struggle a little bit. It relies too much on volunteer surveyors to do it, and, which you, you still have to get involved. But if they can put it together, and, yeah. and see, that was the other thing. I was I was not particularly good at writing reports when I first started. I'm better now because I've learnt it. But it doesn't come easily. Writing, you get no. pretty bored. Yeah, I'm doing government tenders and stuff at the moment, and it's still in my head in already. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, in the old. When I was working, I used to didn't bother typing because I could write it out, and my my uh, office assistant could just type it up in about fifteen seconds, and and she corrected all my spelling errors, and it was a lot easier. Now I have to type on the keyboard because I haven't got any assistance, and it's just really hard work. So um, that's the things you miss when you when you give up working full time. I can tell you, <laughs> so getting that sort of help. <laughs> um. Going, let's go back to my questions because we're going beyond time, which is okay. I'm fine with that, uh, as long as you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Um, when 
when you like coming through your career um what is the some of the best work advice that you've ever heard yeah i i keep i coming back back to that comment about talking through your problems not yeah. not compartmentalizing it and and it's actually we didn't talk about mental health at all when i first started it was just not know. heard of right i had a had a great mentor surveyor that had had a bit of a meltdown and he was just sort of stuck in a corner. Um, he never really took on anything particularly difficult, but, but the advice to, you know, talk things through and not see that, that not get overly worried about it. Just um, the solution is there. You just have to find it and you can't find it unless you're thinking creatively yeah. and be creative um, and just chill out and know, know your abilities. I suppose that's really um I've got that advice and I've taken that more towards the end of my career. So I was a bit of a worrier when I was younger, but um, that's partly because, you know, we're always the sort of guys who own things. So, you know, if something goes wrong, you own it, don't you? So, yes. um, yeah. so you got to be careful with that. But, but if you can talk to somebody who's got the experience, they've been through that before, they can help you. Um mm. And that's a really good, really good thing for everybody to take, particularly this year, I suppose. Um, yeah. You know. I, I think with, um, you know, back then, mental health just wasn't spoken about. And it's still, it's still a bit of, you know, the black dog people. There are still people who, who don't. Um, and I think we're in so, we're much um, more stressful times and people expect more from you and, all this sort of stuff that being able to have conversations with people to to try and nut out what it is you're trying to to work out makes a massive difference. Yeah, and I, I, look, and you you sort of um, you've got sort of post school age kids, but you, you, your family it was always in the back of mind. You got to make sure you're doing things, things your family and your kids are going to have issues that that you got to deal with. So. Um, uh, there's always some stress in the way that you work um, and you've got to be careful of that. But, um, and, and you're right, the, nobody talked about it at all. We, what did we do? Well, we just turned up. Mm-hmm. That's what we did, kept turning up and um, eventually got over it, I suppose. And, and if you, you have those sort of dark days, the, the reality is that you you can have them again. So you just got to be careful and look after yourself. Um, yeah. It's super important. We've, and we've done some really good stuff with that. There was, we had a conference there with Craig Hamilton, um, sort of ABC guy and Craig Sandy did some great stuff on a couple of our conferences. So I think everybody is, but, but the, always the issue is that you have to make that guy, um, you know, sort of seek that out. And, and part of the, the problem of being a principal is that, they're probably not as exposed to what you what you've learnt, so you have to second guess a little bit, I suppose, um, and yeah. ask them. And and that doesn't necessarily come again. That's something you learn as a principal, but but it doesn't come naturally, I suppose. So um, uh, you know, some people in the firm are better in that than others, but yeah. um, you have to be always looking after your employees, yeah. and uh, that creates stresses on you you personally so again it's something you need to look after um so that's that's the sort of advice that we got on the mental health about um talking through problems but um i've had a you know 
had a, a great run with a whole bunch of surveyors, a great surveyors. My two ex-partners, Peter King, Andrew Campbell, were were uh, great blokes, and they did really well in this community. Um, and one of the projects, funnily enough, one of the projects I would love to do in my retirement is to try and document what influence Peter King, Andrew Campbell, um, Sid Hopkins, who's passed away, um, and all three of those guys have passed away, um, and Bill Luke is still around, and and Hopkins, Luke Hopkins were in other practice, and a bloke named Brian Tierney is still around as well, had on this community, and they there, there is five surveyors that literally you know, had an enormous impact on Port Macquarie, absolutely enormous. And a bloke like Brian Tierney hasn't practiced surveying for a long time, but he was the developer of the last canal estate in New South Wales, Peter, at oh. Port Macquarie. Yeah, so okay. um, he's a fascinating guy and he's really successful and um, he uh, had an enormous impact on this town through his um, um, involvement with the church and, and the church has done some great things in terms of infrastructure and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, you know, I'd love to just, from the point of view of the surveying profession, document the impact that these five guys had on this town and, and how they all um, influenced its growth and the way it is now. And it would be a really great story. I don't know if I can ever do it, but, but you can imagine some really good... Um, really good things about that as well yeah. and of course john john oxley came to port macquarie peter did you know that so no, i didn't in 1815 i think he came out so he came out and he uh, camped near our town beach so we had a the senior surveyors group put a plaque up to him to yeah. him as his 200th anniversary not that long ago so 1818 or something i think it was so it was really cool so we've got a long connection to to surveying i think so uh, I can tell you a funny story about uh, we did have his would have been his 175th anniversary in Port Macquarie and the, the Surveyor General at the time um, came to Port Macquarie for a dinner and all the surveyors, local surveyors turned up and the Surveyor General then um, told the audience how John Oxley was a bit of a womaniser so he'd had a um, a partner in every port that he went to and, and it was kind of a funny story and everybody had a bit of a laugh and a giggle. Uh, you know, it was great. It was a good story. But at the end of the um, end of the dinner, we, we'd also gather around and finish our beer. And then the Surveyor General got bailed up by this relatively elderly lady who was pointing the finger at him and, and giving him a, a dead set gobful because she was actually John Oxley's relative who'd come to this dinner and she was disgusted that he'd called her and called John Oxley a womanizer. So we all sat back back and laughed at this poor old surveyor general trying to apologize to the distant relative of John Oxley and, and uh, it was it was a really funny story and he never he never forgot that night from that point of view. So oh, that was his story. <laughs> well, I think I think that you should um, I think you should start penning that book. Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be so, very interesting for sure. I think I find yeah. with um, you know, being in a regional area is a bit different to being in the city. You you have more of that community um, feel and focus and all that sort of stuff, and and than you do in a big city. Um, yeah, I'd certainly, and you know, not to say that the I suppose the 
Are there some downsides? We probably could talk about that. There, there are some downsides. So we came here and we said, oh, we'll move back when our kids, you know, need to go to school or uni or something. And that that wasn't going to happen because it was too expensive to move back to Sydney, basically. Yeah. But, um, and the kids all left. So um, they do leave. I don't have to leave now because we've got Charles Sturt University and I've got this community role on Charles Sturt University where they just meet with some community members um, on a sort of a two or three times a year, or we haven't done it much this year, but mm. just to talk about their relationship with the community and they've done really well here and they've got mm -hmm. some campuses happening and they've got some, you know, it's not very engineering or not very surveying um, in terms of their subjects, but They've got some subjects that allow people to at least do some university locally um, without mm. going to having to leave uh, leave Port Macquarie and they can live with their parents. And it is a big deal uh, leaving. My eldest son left Port Macquarie when he was 17. So wow. he got a scholarship and started Institute of Technology uh, when he was 17. So that was a bit younger. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and then the way around that, well, what we did was send our other two kids on gap years to try and uh, let them grow up a bit. So that's that's a sort of a negative, but they've yeah. all thrived. They're all doing really well. Um, it teaches them to be independent, Peter. That's yeah. the other thing. So when they do leave home, they've all left home. We've been empty nesters for, uh, you know, 10 years or something now So um, because they've all left home. But, um, yeah, it, it, the reality is that um, that the, the family is super important. And it's my um, my highlight of my career. I always say is my family. Uh, yeah. and, you know, the saying is great, but it's a means to an end, and it's all about um, my dealing with my family, and then my my most important um, responsibility in terms of what I do. And uh, they're great. I love them. So they're really cool. I've got two grandkids kids now as well. So how good how good is grandkids? There's probably is there any podcast people watching and they've got grandkids so I mean so when your kids grow up so they grow up really quick and you you're busy like you just said that before when you're yeah. a grandparent you actually can go back and watch them and and you can see the the stages they grow and you know you know my kids change from that to that and obviously they did because that's the simple reality yeah. um but it's really cool to be able to sit back and and watch that happening and and uh see them I, I reckon my uh my first grandson is already a STEM kid. I reckon he's right into STEM, uh, Peter. In terms, he's just really oh, inquisitive, and he just loves pushing buttons. Right? He just loves pushing <laughs> buttons. Any button, anywhere, he push it on. And he turns a light on, he just gets super excited. And he's only two. Does so. he walk around the shops and touch absolutely everything? Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> turns everything on. He plays the computer, and and he just loves it. He loves. Loves he, he wants to know why why it turns on what happens to it. It's a result of what he does. Ah. He, just, he gets really excited about okay. it, so he's really cool. So, Aww. um, yeah, STEM baby in the making, huh? STEM baby, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it it runs in the family though. So, my dad was a um a ship's engineer. So, ah, um, okay. Yeah, it was interesting, and and he was my dad was the one that wanted me to go to uni, so. Um, and then I've had all three of my kids go to uni uh, successfully and uh, graduate. So, and and surveying's enabled you to do that. So that's yeah. a, that's a great thing as well. So it's been really kind to me from that point of view. Mm. 
and as I said before, we've started it. We started a new business five years ago. Um, yeah, with my so wife, wife runs. Yeah, mm-hmm. so in a completely yeah, different really, industry. Yeah, childcare. Mm-hmm. So my wife's a childcare teacher. You know, and we talked about um, bringing people to the country, but what we realised pretty pretty early on at King Campbell is we actually needed to get their partners a job as well because they were, they were both normally employed um, in the city doing their jobs. Um, and even back in 1992, Peter King and Andrew Campbell recognised that Carrie was a childcare teacher and they got her some work. So, so she got some part-time work and she's worked um, in that industry ever since. Um, yeah okay full-time, full-time parts but but part-time other times raising the kids and yeah. uh i sent her back to work in that 1995 one that i was talking to you about before because we were running out of money there <laughs> but um and then she yeah, she opened the childcare center um in four years ago now so super successful 84 kids a day 29 staff so wow it's amazing yeah a lot of people and what's your and, role um, do the books, HR, fix things, and deal with staff, regulations, you know, complying with regulations, and then, um, you know, all that sort of back-end paperwork stuff yeah. that that surveying businesses do. Um, it's got worse because we're, we're doing payroll tax now is the other thing. So, did you know they changed payroll tax? I heard something about it. We said they ch- had to change it, but now they changed it, and... We're on the threshold, so you have to do it. Have to do a um, payroll tax return every month, and I have to pay them a hundred dollars. So it's just ridiculous. For a, it takes you two hours' work to do a hundred dollars. Might as well just give them three hundred dollars and go away. So <laughs> it's a really bad system, and uh, that needs to change. And we made some representations on that too. So there's plenty. There's still plenty of ways to make business doing business in New South Wales better, and. So you can concentrate on actually surveying and start instead of running your business. So there's there's opportunities for uh, Michelle to do even more work, um, hassle on the government about that for sure. Yeah, I think she has a long list of things that uh, that, that need that will want to need to be brought up. Um, you know, she's been doing a pretty good job so far of getting getting a scene and heard and. Yeah, well, how good was the, the did, you know, we should tell everybody at the, at the Business Academy that started this year as well. So, Yeah, um, so they just had their first first uh, first group through graduating and on to the second second groups just started, I believe. Yes, yeah, a really, really um, fascinating uh, innovation and uh, I think it's worthwhile. And again, it just builds that business knowledge and it talks about marketing and it talks about salesmanship and, um, you know, consumerism and all those sorts of things, and it'll help those guys, and it just gives them a bit of a lift as well, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So there was there was a range of age groups there, which I was really impressed about, okay. and they just get exposed to some, you know, some good knowledge. Yeah. Um, that was a really good innovation. It, well, I think that was something that Michelle um, sort of came across, didn't she? That there's these people who are running businesses or, or working in businesses. Um, who are fabulous surveyors, but when it comes to actually uh, being business-minded, they didn't know. Yeah, well, it's not, yeah, that's exactly right, and um, it's not that hard to learn because they, you know, they're pretty good learners. You know, we, we are pretty yeah. good learners, and um, we're we're good uptake on technology. 
but they've got to be encouraged to you know invite other people those other people with those skills into it and, and um, mm. that requires investment which requires making a profit which requires um, you know sort of security of work and all those sorts of things that that, that build into a practice but yeah I, I think it's really worthwhile i wish i'd had that to do i did a few courses with andrew gettys um which were great and uh they made a massive difference in because we we ran our practice pretty tightly and we did pretty well out of it really at the end of the day um the other thing we had was a succession plan I, the succession plan was part of when i came in in 1992 and it was essentially evolved, but we've had a succession plan in King and Campbell for the entire time I was there, and it's still there. So you're always having to worry about your succession, um, and you build that into it. You can't sort of worry about that a couple of years before your retirement. You really have to be building that in yeah. literally decades before you retire. So the guys in their 40s now should be thinking about the succession, and you just said, you know, got a certain amount of years before you want to get out, and and the problem is that we can't let everybody go. Um, there's a bit of a brain drain and, and part of that shortage that we talked about was making some surveyors work a bit longer. Um, and I think Narelle mentioned that the other day or in your previous podcast and mm-hmm. they are working longer because they can. It's not as physical as it might have been 20 or 30 years ago. But it, that's about flexibility as well. They might not have to work full time, Peter. Like, no, like, uh, that's right. They can do, you know, project specific and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it being flexible and changing, and which is sort of important in terms of uh, employing young people, but it's potentially important in employing uh, or continuing to employ the older guys. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I, I think some of these older guys don't actually want to retire anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, that, that was part of my thinking that I, I've done that for a long time. Is there anything else you can do? So you know, I'm not to the point where I can't do something else, but I've been too busy to do anything else. So, <laughs> um, But what that is, I don't know. I wasn't really uh, focused on it too much. Um, but uh, whether it was an opportunity for a, to do something a little bit different, who knows? Because, you know, again, my succession plan was locked in. It was all done. I could retire if I wanted to, but Kerry's working and uh, she's got her business, so that keeps us super busy, yeah. really, from that point of view. Yeah. Um, but there's always something. To, Michelle's always ringing me for something, though, Peter. She, <laughs> she's always ringing me for something. So <laughs> even when I step down, so. <laughs> yes, because she knows the people that she she knows the people that she needs to get the answers from, or she knows the people that will actually help her do the thing that she wants to do. <laughs> Yeah, but no, and it's well, it's hard because you know the the problem with being on a committee um, like ACS is that you know it's really rewarding, really rewarding because you get to meet other guys and other girls um, that are you know the the top the leaders in their profession. They you learn an enormous amount from them, and you get exposed to when we talked about. Um, pigeonholing, you get exposed to different areas of surveying that, yeah. like strata, for example. We didn't do a lot of strata, we did some, but we didn't do a lot. Mm-hmm. So, the guys that were heavily into strata, um, we, we talked to them and we, we uh, got to know their concerns. And similarly, they had nothing to do with planning or uh, um, 
road design, but they got to know what our concerns were there as well. Yeah. So that cross-pollination is really rewarding, but it does take time. That's the reality. I was really lucky that my my current partners allowed me to do that because it does. It was effectively a day and a bit uh, to attend an ACS committee meeting from Port Macquarie because you could do it in one day, but it was a really long, ridiculously long day. So I used to fly down the day before and then and then spend all day at ACS and then fly it back late at night. So um, so it was a day, you know, it was sort of eight, ten days a year that you were not working. So yeah. you weren't productive. I mean, yeah. you know, we phone calls, but the loss of productivity was enormous. But they could see the benefit in giving back to their, to their industry and, and what we could achieve. And, and as well, you get some pretty good contacts, which are worthwhile from your own practice's point of view. So mm. uh, that, cro- that cross-pollination is enormous. But... Um, but, but you know, it's a really worthwhile, and I'd encourage everybody to give some thought to, you know, putting their hand up for a committee. I we we introduced something called CPD Bank uh, early on when I in my uh, I was a chairman, so in my chairmanship, um, and that was to try and reduce the administrative burdens on people that were in groups and stuff like that because there was their their exposure to it was just doing a whole lot of paperwork so i didn't really want that i wanted wanted them to do uh, as little paperwork as possible and more about really figuring out what was best for the group and uh, coming up with good topics and good people to talk to the group and get some good ideas and that sort of thing so um, but i'd encourage everybody to uh, have a think about joining the group um, you know joining acs acs is fantastic um, getting involved um, and uh, if you've got any issues, then, you know, write them in. Uh, just let people know or ring some of the board members up and let them know, and invariably um, somebody else has got that issue, and, and they will take it up for you, and, and um, they can help you solve that problem. Not specific problems, but in pro- problems related, globally uh, policy-related problems, they're, re- they're really quite good at from that point yeah. of view. And it, it, it even helps if... If you've got a client with an issue and, and you go to the ACS and talk about the bigger picture rather than just the project, but your client will see that you're actually trying to do something for them. It's about that value proposition, yeah. right? So I'm making representations through my industry association based on the problems you're having. And he will see that you're doing the, doing the uh, going that extra mile, which yeah. is about that value proposition that I talked about before. And well, that, the, the answer to that is it's being professional as well, isn't it? So, um, but yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the organisations, um, and ACS in particular, and I think CSN's done a really good job um, as a fledgling organisation. Um, and we opened up um, uh, consulting size South Australia started this year as well, so that was kind of cool. They oh, thought they okay. needed you know, a no organisation there, so right. Oh, that's um that's progress, isn't it? Well, you know, they, they had a, a need and they were going to fill it. So um, that was worthwhile. And then CSN obviously rolled out the professional standards scheme this year, um, which has been a little bit affected by COVID, I'd have to say. So it's, it was it would have been a lot more marketing of that um, mm. if we didn't have COVID. But um, uh, pro- professional standards was brought in to increase the... the uh, the professionalism inside an in industry sector like surveying um, 
And the, the big guys that use that are the lawyers, obviously, and you'll see that that logo on partic- probably every lawyer's letter, I suppose. Um, and our scheme is a national scheme, which is um, one of the very few national schemes. And it covers a range of disciplines inside a surveying practice. And you, um, you increase your knowledge and ways of reducing risk for the betterment of the community, but uh, also the flow on effect is you potentially will get a reduction in your insurance premium. So it's a, it's a win-win basically, and it caps your liability. Uh, obviously that's the other thing that, that benefits in all states, right? And territories. So, uh, so it will roll out and then it will have a bigger influence in, in uh, months and years to come. And uh, it, cause it has I, only just, it has only just started. Well, it started in July, but it, July, we, it? Yeah, okay. we really haven't had a chance to roll it out, but yeah. um, we had a reasonable uptake, I would have to, I would have to say. But um, and, and one of the big things that talk, you get some, you have to do some risk management uh, uh, learning uh, as a professional in your, inside your firm, but it also um, gets your staff to do it as well. So the front office staff and the field staff get to know about the risks and uh, things that can go wrong and what they can do uh, to stop that. And we all as professionals, we go to plenty of CPD ev- events, but uh, we don't normally um, uh, deliberately send all of our other staff to those sorts of things to learn stuff. And I think that's worthwhile as well. And, and that'll be a great benefit. That increases the quality of, it, of those practices that have got it and gives the the community uh, some assurance that that, that they're, they're a quality practice. That's really what it comes down to. And, and, and it gives them a, a way to choose between particular practices. Uh, and as I said, the lawyers are the, the main um, users of that, again, because it, it caps their liability, I suppose. Uh, but but it's, a, it's a good scheme and uh, it, it will roll out more in, uh, in the months and years to come, as I said. Um, and uh, I encourage everybody to take a good look at. It requires a bit of work, um, but but I think there's benefits to a practice in the longer term, so it should be good. And that, yeah, that but that is that started this year, and uh, yeah, gee, that was four years mucking around work trying to get that all up and running. So a lot of taste or bureaucracy in there, Peter. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. All right. Well, I might um, wrap it up there, Paul. We've um, I've had a really got a really good uh, idea of the types of things that that you have been involved in now uh, I sort of had a, a you know a small idea um, and it also to me gives people the the bigger picture on it's not all about just out in the field is it that's no, not it definitely not and and we've all got responsibilities as professionals. And as you get to my age, you've realised that. And we've got responsibilities to, you know, look after the cadastre and, and influence policy. But, and again, um, make sure that the next generation is trained um, and make sure that we're not leaving it without training the next guy to look after or the next, the next person to look after it. Um, and, and I'm encouraging everybody to get involved with that as well. Um, yeah, mentoring surveying is is not particularly easy, um, but that's a rewarding experience as well. Getting getting a surveyor registered, um, and you said that with your students, and I've noticed that when we're doing some of our engineering workshops, they struggle a little bit, but when they get a light bulb moment, it's really worthwhile. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, we need to and and look, it ha I'd have to be really complimentary of the firms that send their candidates to ACS. It's a big investment, you know. So, um, and they realise that they haven't done any um, civil design for a while, and and they send those guys and they give them the time off. Um, you've got to continue to give them the time off. That's the other thing because it is a difficult thing to uh, to to get through, but certainly. Um, the firms that do that and support those guys are really to be commended. And often I get the point, well, he could get registered and leave. Well, my, my answer to that is, yeah, he'll get registered. He might leave, but he'll leave because you're not looking after him. But alternatively, if he does leave, you'll, you'll be able to re-employ somebody who, who somebody else got registered. So um, it, mm. it swings and roundabouts from that point of view. Yeah, that's good. It's been fun. So have I asked you enough questions? Ah. Oh. I would probably say yes, but go ahead if you've got anything else to ask me. <laughs> I've listened to your podcast, Sunrise or Sunset. All right. Well, we'll do that before, before as we... As long get... as you answer the ones at the same time. Oh. <laughs> well, we've got to do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, we do it. Yeah. All right. Quick shot. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Yeah, coffee, see. coffee, coffee. I'm tea in the morning and I've got to have my cup of tea and then I've got to have coffee. Yeah. Only one. No. Cat or dog? Neither. Neither. I, no. think, I think, yeah, as I get older, it might be both, I think. Yeah, see, so I'm both. I, I grew up with dogs, but I have cats now, but I'd still want to have a dog. So <laughs> I'm just an animal lover. Horses, you name it. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise, definitely. Okay, so I love a sunrise. But I also love sunsets because I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I don't see them very often. <laughs> yeah, walks on the beach, 500 metres from where I live, oh, catch the sunrise is just like the best thing. And it's always too hot in the afternoon when the sun sets, which is the answer to my next question about winter and summer. So you're it's a winter? winter. Yeah. <laughs> in Port Macquarie, winter is the best time of the year. So it's Yeah, actually, it would be pretty good up there at that time of the year, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Uh, roller coasters, do you love or hate them? Yeah, yeah, I love roller coasters. I ride a motorbike. That's what we do. It's like yeah, so you ride a road bike or a dirt bike, or you did both. Yeah, road, road bike. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. An eight hundred. So yeah, it's an adventure bike. But okay. Well, I haven't. Done, I was thinking you know, I haven't done much riding this year. Jeez, it's been bad. No, I wouldn't want to ride now because it's too wet. We no. live. We live just below the Oxley Highway, which is a top fifty motorbike ride. Okay. Um, the Oxley Highway starts here and then heads up to Walker, and that's the top fifty motorbike rides in Australia. So, nice. and it's like, you know, it's like a morning ride for us. So it's pretty cruisy. Nice. Um, good spot. Yeah, you definitely got to make time for that. You do, yeah. Mm. For sure. Favorite song? Um, oh, I was going to say artist. I'm a Keith okay. Urban Favorite guy. Artist. Keith Urban. Keith Urban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sort of. I've turned, gone sort of poppy country over the last 15 years or so um yeah and he's pretty cool and and he i I just think he's cute so (laughs) (laughs) you've got a sense of humor in there when you yeah i have yeah it's buried (laughs) favorite movie oh look the favoriteest movie it's just a tragedy that the movie only came out on apple tv what and it was Tom Hanks in Greyhound. 
it was amazing. Yes, I've seen it. Was it. Fabulous. it was a brilliant it, movie, wasn't it? I've only watched it about four times. So <laughs> I, I just loved it. I think it was fantastic. So, no, yeah, you know, big fan of those historical military, you know, sort of things. Midway was good, but the first Midway was better than the second Midway. Um, but yeah, Greyhound was a fabulous movie. And um, yeah, I just thought it was suspenseful. And yeah. it was just unfortunate it didn't come out in the cinemas. And not everybody got to see it. So, no. and not everybody will, no, seriously, not everybody will. <laughs> yeah, not, not everybody will agree with that. But I just thought, it, that's, at the moment, that's my favourite movie. Is that a word? Fair not enough. sure. Yes, of course it is. Yeah, favourite. <laughs> What's your favourite book? <laughs> uh, look, what now? Um, it was coincidental. I was reading a book about the Battle of the North Atlantic, which, and that came out almost, I'd read that once. I actually, then Greyhound came out and I read the same book and that's just amazing. Oh, wow. Um, but anything, anything from C.S. Forrester, um, who wrote the, the Good Shepherd, which the Greyhound is based on, but okay. he also, he was the Hornblower guy. So um, yeah, anything that he does is absolutely fantastic. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you get to read much? I do, yeah. I'm a big reader. I don't, and I, I, I stopped reading for a while, and then I got back to, into it with Clive Cussler. You know Clive Cussler? Oh so, yeah, yeah. He's got some interesting, then, uh, interesting. Yeah, I bought, I bought some books that are on a holiday at Coolangatta once in a second-hand bookstop, and and uh, and I got back into it, and I've never really stopped now. So um, I just, it's just, that's a, a great relaxation for me, and and uh, a big fan of. Um, our history and and all those sorts of things. So I tend to like novels that include some element, some mm-hmm. some real parts of history as well. So yeah, um, yeah and and uh, getting away from the technical stuff, just reading uh, um, how difficult life was <laughs> so yeah. in some parts of the last century. So yeah. yep. um, I know we've been through a difficult year, but uh, there were some guys that were pretty amazing in terms of how they survived and. And uh, what they did through those wars and the depression, and even before that, so mm-hmm. um, it's an inspiration to if you're stuck, just keep going. Yeah, definitely. Introvert or extrovert? I don't know. What do you reckon? What are you? Oh, I'm depends where you. Depends I'm probably a couple of women. Well, yeah, I'm probably more of an introvert most of the time. Until I'm comfortable in my surroundings, I think I like I. I don't like big groups. Mostly, unless I know the people. I think I'm 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 sort of on the cusp of both. It's yeah. I'm not a one or the other. Yeah, and I think I'm the same. So. I'd rather I'm 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 into smaller into small groups and particularly people you know, but but that's been blunted over the years because you get thrown into that big group thing yes. and you deal with it. So you think you maybe uh, you are an extrovert. I, I like to have a good time, but it's more about uh, in a, in a smaller group and particularly if you have a couple of beers or something like that. So I can't be an extrovert with a couple of beers. So I can have to say that. So is that <laughs> does that answer that question? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll go a bit of both. <laughs> a bit of both, yeah. Half and half. Half and half. Three items you'd take to the desert island. Well, I'd, I'd take a book. Yeah. I'd take my Kindle with lots of books. 
and then I'd think I'd be working about survival, you know, sort of some way of making a fire, and then a knife. I just kind of yeah. how would you survive without a knife, right? So, so you need a knife, wouldn't you? So um, or something to or a fishing rod or something, something to uh, make hooks or something. So yeah. I don't know. It'd be pretty practical. I think what I'd take to the the island from that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Is your glass half, glass half full or half empty? Uh, again, that just depends on where you are in the particular <laughs> cycle of things. But, uh, are you decisive or indecisive? <laughs> uh, I think I'm decisive, but I procrastinate a bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm decisive when I'm not procrastinating. How's that? <laughs> that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. No, I don't want yeah, well, look, it, it's only to, you, it's a classic, you know, that sort of nerdy thing where you, you have to weigh up every single option and then you're decisive after that. So yeah. that's how that works. So <laughs> <laughs> One thing you'd never do again. Oh, gee, well, there's, I don't know. Yeah, look, I, I don't, I haven't got any massive regrets. Um, I don't think uh, there's, there's much point in dwelling on all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm going to say nothing. Absolutely, I'm going to be decisive awesome. and say absolutely nothing. So, um, except, uh, oh no, hang on, that's, that's not right. No, I've got something. I've got something. <laughs> We went for a we went for a trip to Cape York on a motorbike, and it rained. So it wasn't supposed to rain, and it rained. And the first night we got stuck in the middle of nowhere on this dirt bike on this big hill, and I just couldn't get up. I just kept on falling off, and I had to go for another week driving, riding three thirteen hundred kilometres. It was the worst thing in my life. So I'm never going. And then I got to Cape York, and there's nothing there. So I'm never going to Cape York again. So. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful place. Been there, done that. <laughs> Never yeah, done there. that, done that. That's fantastic. So tick it <laughs> off. And that silly little sign at the end of Australia. I've taken the photo on that, but I'm never going there again because there's nothing to see, right? <laughs> okay. Who knows you best? Uh, actually, my clearly my wife. Um, but, but probably my eldest son knows me pretty well because he's a sort of a bit of a nerd too. Mm-hmm. Whereas my other two children are not necessarily nerdy. They probably know me pretty well, but they don't think the same way that I do. So, yeah. um, so and surprisingly, my mum, even though I don't live particularly close to my mum, my mum knows me pretty well. So, mums usually do. Yeah, mm. Michelle, she knows me pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what to do and say to to get uh, get what she needs. Yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah. just ring up and ask. Paul, can you do this? Paul, I need you to do this. Yeah. Um, favorite subject in school? Maths. Only one. Maths. Mm-hmm. Favorite childhood yeah. memory? Oh, look, my childhood memory in Tilopia was that um, for some reason our street got sealed with a with AC, so not not two coat, so it was like really smooth, so it was fantastic riding up and down our street. We had the most 
wonderful time with skateboards and nice. every considerable, th every single thing that could roll, we rolled it up and down that street mm -hmm. and we got to some enormous, and I could do, when I was a kid, I could do a handstand on a skateboard. Would you believe that? So actually a handstand on a skateboard. Oh, so you coordinated uh, too. Well, I was when I was a kid, yeah, so <laughs> not now. <laughs> um, and, and look, fascinating about that is that that house has now been knocked down literally last month. And so it was built in 62 and, wow. and it was knocked down in 2020. So that's nearly 60 years. Yeah. Um, and everybody said it's sad. And it is sad from that point of view, but it's really kind of cool that, that it's going to be a duplex. But there'll be, so there'll be two families that live in that area. Which, and it backs onto Oatlands Golf Course. So that particular block, the back of it is uh, bush. And it goes down to Oatlands Golf Course. And we had many a great time you know, down in the dam that feeds Oatlands Golf Course, swimming in that dam and doing some really cool things right in the middle of Sydney. Um, and there's two families that can do that. So I think that's pretty cool from a, from a surveyor's point of view anyway. So yeah. slightly slightly contrary view to everybody else that thinks it's really bad the old house got knocked down, but it was a pretty lousy house. Um, yeah. Um, but, and it was 60 years old, so, and it was too big a block of land for, for that, uh, just one house. So it was good. So I'm... I'm uh, sad, but uh, um, sort of happy that some other families will have a have a nice time living in Tilopia. Nice. What's your favourite food? Food. Yeah. I'm a bit of. I've turned into a bit of a cook, so. Ooh. But I, I don't. I go exotic, but then I also just nice, simple. And not particularly, I've got I've gone for quality steaks, but not necessarily very big. I like a little, a nice quality ribeye steak, relatively yeah. small with some, some simple salads to go with that. And just nice and easy. That's probably my my go-to food. Nice. Um, and that, is that complicated or no? It's, it's a simple, simple food, but uh, it's something I like. So having the time, having the ability to spend something on a quality cut of meat is worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. And having it cooked right. <laughs> yeah, well, I do that every time, Peter. <laughs> particularly good at that. All right, well, I'm holding you to that when I come to Port Macquarie. <laughs> yeah, I keep telling everybody, come in, call in, we can have a great time. Favourite drink? Uh, wine. Red or white? Um, white. Mm-hmm. Probably a Sav Blanc. Nice. Yeah, I've turned it into a wine drink as well. So, but yeah, I like a good beer. But um, is it was that an alcohol question or was it was there other drinks except alcohol? Whatever it's whatever your favourite drink is. <laughs> yeah, my go-to drink. And you do say in your introduction, and I'm supposed to get my beverage and listen to you. So uh, exactly, I should have done that. Jen. Whether it's a cup done. of tea or whether it's. Your yeah. wine or whatever, I don't care. Doesn't worry me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your pet peeve. I know you've already kind of answered this one back earlier, but give me a quick answer on that one. A quick answer. <laughs> no quick answers. <laughs> yeah, well, pet peeve is people hating politicians. There's, there's, um, there's no point in that. And um, it, there's, some of them are lousy, but some of them are really, really good. And... Mm -hmm. The problem, the, the the reason why they they um they make bad thing don't do the right thing is because we don't tell them. Fair enough. And we that's our that's our responsibility. So get involved mm -hmm. and tell them. Yep. 
win the lottery or the perfect job? At <laughs> my age. <laughs> I've had a really good career as Lang, so neither of those really matter, Peter. So uh, I'd take the money, thanks. <laughs> I'm very comfortable. And then they stick the money in the bank and it gets 1% interest anyway, so it's ridiculous. So, um, yeah, perfect job. Yeah, perfect job. Mm-hmm. Biggest fear? Failure. Mm-hmm. It's always been the biggest fear. Okay. Um, getting something wrong and uh, uh, not picking it up before it goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's always the biggest fear. Mm-hmm. Favorite sport? Oh, geez. At the moment, sailing. Oh, really? It's the other thing that nobody well, knows. Like, you do it. Well, no, I don't, I tried to do a little bit of it. We were going to Croatia this year to sail with my son, mm-hmm. but that got called off. But um, okay. we, there was a um, America's Cup series in, in New Zealand last week as well. Nobody knew about that. And then there's some cool boats doing 49 knots. Wow. That's like 65 kilometres an hour in the sailing boat. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the Vendee Globe started uh, about a month ago where they uh, go around the world in roughly 70 days wow. and they are single-handed okay. uh, unassisted and they're all and about about now they're all below australia going uh just above the what they they, they get a uh, a limit to how far south they can go okay and because it's too much ice they're actually below tasmania right Wow. that far down so they can go around the world as quickly as they possibly can so and they, it's only once every four years and it's never been won by anybody else except a frenchman so that's a really cool thing at the moment so if you if you just look at something different to do oh, just yeah, look it up globe. it's really cool mm. fantastic boats and really amazing people cool all right um morning or night person well i think i know the answer to that one morning, morning. yeah Proudest moment? Kids. Yep. Three kids. Uh, and, you know, having them, um, watching them grow up, um, watching them finish uni, watching yeah. them, watching one of them get married, watching one of them uh, get a wedding uh, postponed this year to oh. next year, watching them all buy houses. Um, so that's just uh, fantastic. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. It's it's just the best. So, and it's so and they're just so successful in their own right. And uh, people say people say you're lucky you've got kids who um, are so good at what they do, but it's not luck. They're just hard working. So if I t- taught them anything, just keep keep turning up. Pants pants on first, Peter. Yeah. Get up, put your pants on. <laughs> Get up, dress up, turn up. That's it. That's that's my other thing to leave you with. Get up, dress up, turn up. Pants first. <laughs> yeah, pants first. Make sure you put your pants first on the morning. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Uh, yeah, jeez. What in your generation or my generation? Um, cool. About a four. Oh. Not very cool. No. Okay. I'm giving you an honest answer. No, that's what I want. Your dream car? Uh, it'd have to be a four-wheel drive. I'm not. I'm not really a sporty car guy, so probably a, 
there's a new Land Cruiser due out next year, um, um, a 300 series, which I fancy. So I've got a, a good dual cab ute, which I've um, chipped and made go a little bit faster, <laughs> added some things. Um, but, and then the other thing is all these other big utes that are oh, coming out, like the Rams and the stuff. Rams. Oh, yeah. I know they're too big, but geez, they attracted me. And yeah. then, and then um, there's a ute called the Bollinger, which is electric as well. It looks really cool. So, oh, um, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, coming out in, uh, and then there is another electric one which is opposite to Telstra. I don't like the Telstra Ute, so um, Tesla Ute, sorry, Telstra. Oh, Tesla, yeah. Tesla Ute. Um, so yeah, electric Utes, and uh, yeah, anything four-wheel drivey and uh, recreational vehicle, plenty of room, chuck my stuff in, and uh, uh, versatile. Versatility is is my favourite car. Yep. Favourite colour. Red. Apple or Android? Apple. Funny because the center's got Android. So Apple, but Android at the center. But they're both pretty good. They're both, what are you? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm Apple. It's frustrating at times. Yeah. Uh, but it's just it's what I've got and it's what I just keep getting. <laughs> yeah, well, it's sort of. You know, I'm talking about nerdy. You could poll people and ask whether they do a subscription to YouTube. I do that, right? So, and that's oh. Google. So, uh, I'm a YouTube premium person, right. um, and that's Google. And so, all the Santa ones all talk to each other in the same Google account. It's really cool. So, um, and they back up the photos and um, yeah. do some really good stuff. So. Where there might have been a gap years ago, I don't think there's so much gap now. So um, mm. it's interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've got an Apple phone, but I, I have wanted to have an Android. Maybe I should just do that because I can. So well, have yeah. a whole. Yeah. Oh, go for it! I reckon. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What? Lastly, what's your star sign? Uh, it's Capricorn. Ah. Go. Yeah. That means that you must have a birthday soon. Yeah. Yeah, it's two weeks after Christmas Day. So, yeah, it's kind of cool because I went to the uh, registry today and got my license. So I've had my license for 45 years. I got my license on my 17th birthday, Peter. Oh. <laughs> the same day. So. Do you know what? I was away in New Zealand when I turned 17. So mine is a month later. And oh, that's cool. Kind of pretty good because... You don't have to pay a bill on your birthday. <laughs> well, you get a discount if you haven't got any points. And I got, I got some. I would you believe I got points? So the lady looked at it. it was like two thousand and eight was my last fine, and it got a fine last year. And I tell you why, because I was in Newcastle, and there's this horrible intersection at near McDonald Jones Stadium. There, it's got a red light camera and a speeding camera next to it. Oh no. And I had my son, my grandson in the back and he was screaming and he wanted to be fed. So I was going too fast and uh, got booked. So I lost a point. So, and then you don't get a 50% reduction in your license. So, and I said, well, bad luck. No. I, I didn't really care. It's only it money, important. isn't it? It's only money. <laughs> yeah, it is. Can't so, take it with you. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Exactly. It's a really good point. I'm going to take that off. I'm going to take that off from the end of this interview, Peter. You can't take the money with you. That's exactly right. So should give it to all my children. <laughs> Enjoy it. Spend it. 
Yeah, well, it'd be great if you could spend it. That's the yeah, I know, moment. I know. It's a bit hard at the moment. So yeah, uh, it's it's actually interesting when I ask that star sign so one, and um, I, there's a couple who are around the uh, Capricorn Aquarius sort of thing, and I'm right on that cusp, and some of the similarities in certain things and stuff yeah. actually I find quite funny. A non-scientific study of science, star signs, Peter. Is that what you're saying? So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's and a really one, good thing. We we could survey all the surveyors and we could find out whether they're all the same star signs. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then the ones that you know sort of say that they're a Leo or they're a Virgo or you know whatever star signs they are, I go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You know, similar to you know my son's personality or someone else. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. live by the stars, but that's <laughs> good. I'm just seeing you walk into a place and say, Hello, my name's Peter Cog. I really need to know your star sign before I talk to you before at I all. Before I talk to you. <laughs> before I decide how I'm gonna interface with you, I need to know your star sign. Well, sometimes it does make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ask them up front though. No, 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 no. No, see I wait till the end. All oh, right. So. So you've got your all relaxed and chatty and that's the last one in there. Huh? Yeah, it's not on my social media either, I don't think. So. <laughs> oh, no, it is. Yeah, I think it is. So, I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Paul, so much for joining me um, for our lovely long chat. <laughs> They're getting longer, a lot and longer every time I, I speak to people. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot about you, Peter. Fantastic. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you can't be embarrassed. You're the interviewer. <laughs> That's my job to be embarrassed. So. Well, I think you, I don't know if I think you grilled me more than I grilled you. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the idea. <laughs> See, that's because I'm a wily old surveyor. Ah, Not good. a crusty old surveyor, a wily old surveyor. A wily old surveyor. No, that's good. Thank you so much for, for tonight. I have enjoyed Okay. It. I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Paul. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave a review on my channel. Share it with your friends. Catch you next week when I chat to Paul Burrows, the reality capture guy from Laika Geosystems, part of Hexagon in England. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.